James 2, um, verses 1 to 23. My brothers and sisters, believer in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they, are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the no, noble name to whom, of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law as found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he said, you shall not commit adultery. Also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I actually think that um, Burnside does a good job of being a community of love. Um, as we look at this passage, I just hope we'll be better still. Now, the, this was really brought home to me um, last, last Thursday, um, sorry, Thursday a week ago, when I, I was in Auckland um, airport and I, I just finished up some, some meetings at, um, for work and who did I see? I, I, I saw Akant. Akant comes running up to me, gives me a big hug, and I'm like, oh, this is great, you know, brothers in Christ, rah, 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 awesome. And so, and so I like hug, and Akant's like, do you want a beer? And I'm like, no, sorry, I, I don't have time. I need, I need to get to my gate. And um, and turns out we're on the same plane. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And so anyway, I, I go to my gate, and then I realize, oh, no, it's actually gate 28, which is the only gate in... Um, in Auckland that's downstairs. And so the problem with that is that sort of you've got to climb up two flights of stairs to get onto the plane. And I'm like, hmm, this is a bit of a problem. And as I'm pondering this problem, um, there's an announcement coming over the loudspeaker saying the plane after this to Christchurch has been cancelled. I'm like, oh, okay, so now seats to Christchurch are going to be as rare as hen's teeth. And I'm kind of like trying to get on this plate. I've also got the problem that um, the following day, Emma and I are going away to um, have a lovely time on for our for our 12th wedding anniversary. And so, you know, I've flown to Auckland on the express understanding that I will be back for my anniversary weekend. So I'm like going, hmm, okay. So, I, I'm, I'm ringing Emma and going, okay, don't worry, honey, I'm going to get on the plane, come hell or high water. And so I'm, as I'm sitting there on the phone, I'm going, okay, what's the plan here? Um, okay, so plan A, because I know A counts on the same flight, 
is get Akon to drag me up the stairs, which, which could work, but he is an academic, and so not, re not really kind of, um, you know, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, anyway, plan B was, if it didn't work, I could blame Akant <laughs> and throw him under the bus. And I know that as a brother in Christ, he would understand. So anyway, the, the way the, the problem was actually resolved was um, the uh, Air New Zealand um, managed to get me on another flight that was leaving five minutes later that was leaving from another gate. But this kind of... It was just kind of one of those stories where, once again, kind of my um, disability kind of impacted on, on my life. And I'm like, ah, crap. And so the, the, this passage talks about favoritism. And um, unfortunately in my life, I've experienced the dark side of favoritism, um, which is, which is so, social exclusion. So um, I've grown up with a physical disability that has meant I have not always been able to fully participate in the activities of those around me. In order to participate, I need people around me to make accommodation to my limitations. This creates a profound dynamic for rejection. If a person doesn't make allowances for my limitations, then the result of that is social isolation. An example of this is at a church that I once attended that had auditorium-style seating. If the people I wanted to sit with in church were not in an accessible row, then I would need them to come to me, otherwise I would not be able to sit with them. There were many occasions where people simply just didn't think about the need to move seats, and so I often experienced deep isolation in that church. I have deliberately not named the church because it was a good church with passionate leaders who love God, and this is not a dig at the, a dig at the church. It is simply a description of how I felt when sitting in the congregation. When I was at school, and especially at high school, I was socially excluded because of my disability. As part of people figuring out who they were at a single-sex school, it appeared there was a deep need to create in-groups and outgroups, and physical disability provided a clear criteria for being part of the outgroup. At this formative time in my life, that left a deep scar in my heart that I tried very hard to ignore. Part of my process of ignoring this was to set myself up to be a success in the able-bodied world. Whenever there was an opportunity to compete at an equal level, I took it. In my case, this was academically and then professionally as a lawyer. While I did not think I could be a successful courtroom lawyer at law school because of my disability, once I was in practice, I found I had a natural talent for it. At that point, I realized that the courtroom was the one place where my disability didn't matter. What matters was how well I had prepared my case and then presented it. Once you've done this a number of times and done it well in an, in an ethical manner, you develop a reputation for being a good lawyer, and that's what I have done. However, it is not the complete picture of what I thought it meant to be a success in an able-bodied world. For me, the other part of the equation was to have a successful relationship, and on that side of the equation, I was much less successful. When I was 25, I had a two-year relationship 
that I thought was going to end in marriage in badly. This destroyed my heart and reinforced all the rejection I had felt at high school. This was a wound that being a good lawyer simply couldn't heal. What was harder still for me was the fact that this had all happened after I had become a Christian and I thought that I could trust God that something like this would not happen to me. Now there's some theological errors in my in my thinking around that. That sort of it's not the it's not the purpose of this sermon, but yeah, just be aware that sometimes hurt comes into our lives and 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 God's actually there with you in it. Um so and so it was not until I was thirty five and I met Emma that I finally found a safe place finally got the safe place that I needed to heal my heart. Unfortunately, in the years between 25 and 35, I created some dysfunctional ways of dealing with the hurt and rejection. And it is only in the last seven years that I have begun to face the pain that I have experienced in my life, and that has been a difficult journey. One of the things that I have learned in the journey is that trauma can only be properly healed in a community of love. And it's in this passage, this is what James is calling the church to be. So, with that introduction, let's go back to the um, passage again and see what the problem is that James is addressing. So that's in the first part of the passage where it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man came into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also came in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So, the problem here is that there are two visitors to the church. One is a rich man and one is a poor man. And the church has treated these two people just as they would have been treated in ordinary society. The church has made discriminatory judgments on the basis of appearance and social status. So why is this a problem? Well, let's, let's go on and see what, what the passage says. But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So the core problem is that the church has not honoured the image of God in either individual. With the poor man, it, is, it seems clear how the church has failed. His inherent dignity has not been honoured by the church when it judges him by external appearance. Remember, this is the principle underlying all of God's law. We are to love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, because our neighbor is made in the image of God. 
as we are. Jesus wants the church to be a community where those that don't have dignity in the world have their dignity restored to them. This is the principle underlying Jesus' discussion with the Pharisee in Luke 14, in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, where Jesus has been invited for a Sabbath meal. Um, one of the things that you pick up through the New Testament is it's Jesus is not always a safe dinner guest. Um, and then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. But the church has actually also failed the rich person as well. Because they've judged him by external appearances as well. By treating him in accordance with his external appearance, the, the church has not shown him the grace of showing him that, is the, that he is the equal of the poor person. This perspective would have been a benefit to him, as it would allow him to confront the place that riches have in his life. And this is what Jesus is doing when he confronts the rich young ruler. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 24. And, and in this situation, it records, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your mother and father, and love your neighbour as yourself. It's an interesting point, because um, the love your neighbour as yourself is a, is, is a key verse. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciple, disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When you look at the damage that our celebrity culture does to the celebrities themselves, you can see the profound benefit that treating a rich person of value in and of themselves, rather than because of their riches, is actually a great blessing to them. It is this kind of community that Paul is talking about when he says in Galatians Chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This concept of being unified in Christ across racial lines, gender lines, and economic class was radical in first century Rome 
And I suggest it is just as radical today in our increasingly polarised society. So how do we get to this community where we are unified in Christ? So James provides the solution in the rest of the passage. He says, listen, dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When I was preparing this sermon, um, Phil and I joked that perhaps I should just take a broken record approach to preaching and just say for 40 minutes, love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) The reason for this is that this message is core to Jesus' teaching and the life he expects his disciples to live. There are three instances recorded in the gospel where Jesus is recorded emphasizing this command. The first is in the temple prior to his death, and the other two times he is challenging the rich young ruler and the teacher of the law prior to telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. Both of these people were examples of rich or privileged people who were struggling to understand what God actually wanted them to do. However, as James says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. James refers to this law as the royal law laid down by King Jesus himself. It is not only the royal law, but it is also the law of liberty. In calling it the law of liberty, James is saying the same things in different words to what Paul says in Galatians. Where Paul says in Galatians, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So, the application. How do we apply this in our lives? These are what James has given us in this passage. These are the rules for inside the church. In the church, we are meant to demonstrate the values of the kingdom. Both the rich and the poor are our neighbours. What are their needs? Well, for the, poor, for the poor person, it is obviously material needs, and it, is, and it is dignity. And for the rich person, their need is to understand the need for humility. But both have a genuine need for relationship. So I would also challenge you to look for those who are on the outer in terms of society's standards of acceptance, whether because of mental or physical disabilities or people who are not as well off as you relationally. 
Remember, we are all supposed to be part of the family of God, and no one should leave the church in material need or feeling socially outcast. That is what it means to be the body of Christ in a church that does not show favoritism. Remember also that when we leave church, we are trying to expand the boundaries of the kingdom of God. The best way of doing this is to treat everyone according to the royal law of loving your neighbour as yourself without showing favouritism to anyone you come across. So yeah, so that's my challenge for you this week. Love your neighbour as yourself.